Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. To stick at being faithful in an intentional way, so that's not career related, that's life related. Today I'm talking to Jane Hawes, a pharmacist working at Withenshaw Hospital in Manchester. Jane lives in Didsbury in South Manchester with her husband Steve and she has two grown-up children, Helen and David. Thank you for joining me Jane, it's lovely to see you. It's good to see you Andrew, it's lovely to see you. So Jane, you grew up on the border between Sheffield and Derbyshire where your family had lived for a long time, several generations. So tell me about your childhood and perhaps a little bit about what you were like at school. Mm, childhood, I think it was one of those probably now very free childhoods that people don't always get. Unfortunately, we were able to wander at will and uh, it was very stable, very sort of middle class in a standard sort of way in those days in the 50s. I had both grandparents living fairly near, both sets of grandparents living fairly near. That was very nice for us. And I had four younger sisters by the time I was 11. So we're a good-sized family. Yeah, love it. Sounds, sounds idyllic to me. And at school, what were the sort of things you enjoyed doing at school? And, and what were your favourite subjects and things? Being the eldest of four children, I think I was always the one who wanted to be older and grown up and different from the younger ones. At primary school, I got on very happily with the academic work. And then at secondary school, I think I, I really enjoyed secondary school. I remember going the first day and thinking, oh, this is better, feeling much more interested in the stuff they were providing me with by the way of interest. And uh, as time went by, I, I did fine at school. I, I gradually gravitated towards doing the sciences. I enjoyed geography as well, and that was a strong subject. But the sciences, particularly biology, a bit of chemistry, became the things I really got stuck into. So, so th- why why did you end up looking towards sort of pharmacy? When when did that interest arise and that sort of focus happen? I think it fitted the, my interest in biology and just that pleasure at looking at the chemicals in a chemical chemistry lab. It all seemed very exciting and novel, so it fitted that intersection. And I think I was fortunate in that I ended up doing pharmacy and not pharmacology because I think people who enjoy that sort of biological science area find themselves sometimes doing the more science-based course rather than the practical out it's it's a you know it's an applied degree a pharmacy degree so I was quite fortunate I didn't end up down the wrong track there but we we used to have a system at school where people who'd applied for university left their prospectuses out for others to look at and I remember when I looked at those prospectuses that had been left by previous university applicants thinking this looks interesting (laughs) so it it sort of piqued my interest from probably about 15 or 16 onwards by bringing those that biological science thoughts together but to have that kind of focus at that age you've got like a target then as you go through your a-levels you know really where you're heading yeah yeah i think it it was useful to have that target there's no doubt but i know people who 
you know, you're thinking, what shall I do in order to leave myself in a, a place where I could make various, op- take up various options? Well, I did have a focus and uh, that helped enormously, really. Yeah, yeah. And then, so presumably you applied to a number of universities and you ended up in London. I ended up in London. There was a course in London, which was new at the time, which was the term was clinical pharmacy. And that, again, was one of those things that made me interested. It was going to be, it wasn't just going to be somebody in a white coat with a lot of glass jars behind them. It was somebody who could actually apply the knowledge in a, in a clinical situation. It was a new course. And it's a new direction for pharmacy at the time, really, to start to be more clinically involved rather than purely supply and development of medicines. And how did you find that sort of transition? Because it sounds like your childhood there in sort of Sheffield, Derbyshire area was was lovely. And then you ended up in London, which must have been quite a, uh, a change for you. Yes, I mean, we were on the edge of Sheffield, so you got the city stuff, actually, I think I... And I'd got my aunt lived in London and we'd visited and I don't think I found London so strange at the time. It was London at that point probably wasn't as well, it's not as crowded as it, as it is now. And it, it felt fine. I enjoyed it. I lived in, it sounds amazing to live. We lived in student accommodation in Bayswater. You couldn't even begin to think about living in such a thing now. But uh, so we were had the run of central London. It was great. So you, you enjoyed student life in London. How did you take to university and how did you take to student life? Well, actually, it's a good question because London University was not what I think people think of as university. And I don't know if it is still really because it isn't campus based. The social life is very different. It's much more embedded in your community other than your university community, especially the School of Pharmacy had, I think, hundreds of us in each year so it's probably a total student population of about 400 including postgrads so there wasn't that community of campus life where people hang out in others rooms and uh, a big social thing we obviously we did make friends but mostly they were with people uh, who we met at, in our course rather than in the wider London community. So how, how do you think you changed then while you were in London uh, doing the uh university course? I think I grew into my my course and my career but I don't think it was the biggest period of change in my life you know I was I I think I'd always managed my academic work at a decent level and that continued I could do it I was content in it but I don't think I was massively mature and <laughs> there's certainly any sort of growth and development in maturity did come later for me. I just got on with it and kept going and, and was decent at the job as well. So, you know, that's fine. So I guess it was quite, quite a vocational sort of degree and, and the transition then into, you know, in, into the, the two years basic grade pharmacy that you did at King's was just a natural progression almost of what you were doing as part of the university was it a bit actually there was a you do do a year after it was a three-year degree and a a year of pre-registration year where you rotate around different parts well I was in hospital not retail and I never did any retail experience in shops so we rotated around the manufacturing side the quality assurance side the dispensing side and the the ward-based side it was the ward-based work that I really enjoyed and that was what I consolidated on in the 
the two years at King's. So, so what what were the sort of challenges you faced in that time and how did you overcome them? Right, well, that's a good one because I think this, the, going back to the clinical pharmacy component of my degree and the bit I was really interested in, that was the bit I retained an interest in. Recently, somebody asked me who I'd seen as a role model or a mentor at that point in my life. And there wasn't really anybody specifically, but there was one person who modelled that to some extent. And she was willing to go out and get stuck in and engage with clinicians and think clinically, see what medicines were being used and whether they were appropriate or whether the, the, the context for prescribing was appropriate, I think is the right word. So she, she did model that. And that was what I wanted to do and what I effectively taught myself to do, really. We, I knew the theory was there and that it, it should be done, but there wasn't much transitioning except for what I pursued. And I suppose there was a bit of, there was scope for pursuing it. So I did, got stuck in. So then you take another sort of step and applied for overseas work and went to India. So tell me about this. I went overseas. This is a, probably going back to the maturity bit. I didn't feel I'd sort of learn to put my feet on the ground in a broader sense than work. I can't really identify why that was. I don't have a good analysis for it. I think I just grew up slowly and uh, I needed more. I, I needed to see my own environment from a distance and I sought that. I don't, didn't really matter to me what I did. I looked at going to kibbutzes and various other things, but ended up working in a Christian hospital in northern India as the sole pharmacist very different because obviously their medicine as pharmacy was all about supply and purchasing and quality assurance so a very different setup and a very small hospital but it was good for me to do it and I think of it fondly but <laughs> it was a challenge yeah I bet it was so it's what do you think you learned about yourself during that time in India well, I learned I wanted to come back to England and I didn't uh, didn't really see my future as abroad. I think I, I did learn to sort of see myself better. And I think I, I kept in touch with people and I think that gave me some sense of being valued as a friend and I suppose being valued as a person in a way. I, you know, people who were willing to put in their money to provide the support with the Missionary Society and they were prepared to put £10 up or whatever it was a month to, to support me. I, I suppose you do feel that if people regard you as worthy of being supported, then that gives you a sense of your, some sense of worth. And so I came back feeling, I don't want to live abroad. <laughs> and I seem to be getting on okay in terms of being established as a person who's got a social base in life, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how those that sort of formative time in your life, those different challenges can shape you and clarify, I suppose, you know, what you really value and what fits you as a person. And sometimes it's not until you're taken out of that situation, as you say, looking at it from a distance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So you did come back. So I did come back, yes. <laughs> yeah. So what happened next? I went to work... I think I would have gone anywhere to work with, but my friendships were in London. So I went back to London and back to my old church in London and picked up to some extent where I'd left off. And I went to work in North London at the Whittington Hospital. And I went there for six years. I spent a long time there. And I think that was the consolidation of my sort of 
practice of pharmacy really those six years good time for lots of reasons good team and was that where you met steve i met steve actually when i was in india he'd gone out as a medical student to do his period over sort of personal choice period where they get three months or wherever they want to do it he chose to do it in india he was going to the same guest house as i was in at the time so I mean, you, you and Steve got together, you know, and you had a family. And, and tell me, you know, how did you sort of work things through in terms of work and being a mother and all of that? Because that's come up a number of times in some of the chats I've had, and I'm always interested to hear it. Well, we probably did it away. Lots of people wouldn't do it now. Steve's a doctor, so medicine at that stage was an all-encompassing career, and his particular specialty, A&E, is perhaps even more all-encompassing as at that time than it is now he until oh dear maybe until our kids were sort of six or seven something like that he did what's known as a one in two which meant that one in two weekends and evenings uh, he was on call so that was very restrictive really for the rest of us and I wouldn't have wanted to do a lot of work in that time I'd did some locums in a shop um, when money got hard at one point and uh, that was good because great experience but I'm not naturally somebody who enjoys the commercial side of it so that wouldn't have been my long-term choice and then by a series of fortunate coincidences Steve was talking to the pharmacist at the Whittington which is where he was working and they were shorter people so I slid sideways into a vacancy then and have really stayed put into had more opportunities as the years have gone by but I've never gone back to working full-time that was partly initially well it was initially around his job but I don't want to actually I enjoy the other things of life and I think one of the things that perhaps made pharmacy a suitable career for me was I'm a bit of a jack of all trades and it's I like having a bit of breadth and other interests in my life so I wouldn't have wanted to give my whole time and energy, mental, physical, over to a full-time job. So I've worked part-time ever since. And there have been the openings to work part-time, and there still are the openings to work part-time. Less so than there were, to be honest, but there are still openings. That was fantastic that you could find that that sort of right balance for you. In oh, that, yeah. In yeah, that that's world, perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So, so what are the things that now you sort of particularly enjoy about your work and and find most rewarding what have been the sort of threads or examples of I did the Belbin sort of self-analysis thing which I don't think you can get online without paying for it these days but one of the elements of his analysis of how you work in and how you function in a well either a working or out of work environment I came up very strong on team worker I really like working in a team and hospital pharmacy is very strongly team-based if you're out on the ward. So that's uh, one thing that I would I enjoy about my work. And it's technical and uh, there's a knowledge base that you need to apply. So there's, not the, there's the strong element of application of what is sometimes knowledge of first principles, really. So you're applying it to a practical context which is practically relevant to people's lives so I do elderly care and there's nothing more satisfying than a 93 year old lady coming in on 15 medicines and then you're thinking how many of these are ones that are really useful to her and how many of them might be contributing to problems rather than solving problems 
so to whittle down some of those things that might in her you know, earlier life have been useful because they're designed to be preventative of certain illnesses such as cardiovascular disease or something at a certain point when you're frail and elderly and falling have outlived their relevance in your life and maybe as I say being destructive rather than constructive so to whittle that down to something that the 93 year old lady finds suits her and can be managed and is appropriate is a very satisfying task yeah that's brilliant isn't it and tell me how does that your interaction with the sort of medical staff how, how does that work because presumably there's a really important relationship there yes it's an important relationship but it it's so it isn't there's a lot of it is around personal relationships uh, ideally we'd have a lot more time to be fully integrated into the decision making structure but that's not possible practically a lot of time i think you go to some hospitals and they're thoroughly integrated and they've got the staffing right and every time there's a sort of decision making process like a, a, on a ward round or something you'd have somebody there with the skills to be able to think well is there, you know what are we doing medic- in terms of treatment but we're not that well set up but i'd say 80 percent of the time you can make sure you follow the thread through to get to making a decision either by conversation or occasionally by writing it down and seeing if somebody can reply in paper or something like that. Uh, and certainly with elderly people, a lot of it's around conversation with patients. Um, so if somebody's taking something, you think, well, why are they on that? What was the reason? What was it started for? The, the, the sort of, should they continue it or what role does it play? Sort of almost, you know, the, the patient can identify that. So looking back, you know, at the young Jane going off to, to London, what, what do you think would be your advice to your younger self? I think I've sort of followed the flow of it, really. I, I knew what I liked and I knew what suited me, but by and large, I've more followed the flow and it's fallen right. I, I don't know whether I should say it, because obviously it doesn't happen for everybody. Sometimes people follow the flow and there's a dam and you can't get through it. But I think what I think I would say is to stick at being faithful in an intentional way. So that's not career related, that's life related. Uh, so to be in, intentionally faithful. So try and be the person you should be to in a sort of moral and ethical context, to do your tasks in a, a faithful manner to be faithful towards people and their needs and so I think it's about being intentionally faithful would be the thing I'd say keep doing that and then I think that the other thing is about keeping plodding steadily looking forward so uh, but again as I said not as plodding is the wrong um, verb to use but to keep steadily moving forward well Jane thanks so much for your time this afternoon it's been really interesting it's good it's great enjoyed this podcast to help others enjoy it too please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and don't forget to rate and review thank you